0: Today um, comes from the book of Philippians two, chapter 2 verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing Every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.
1: One of the things Carol and I love doing is travelling. I mentioned I've done three interims. One of the things we like to do is since we sort of retired, what we decided we we would do is we would do an interim, then we'd travel, then we'd do an interim, we'd travel. And when I say travel twice in in the last period, we've done two, five, six months trips in the caravan. And basically, at this stage now, we've been to virtually every part of Australia. But if you've ever been travelling and in caravanning, if you've been to all these places, there's hundreds of places you haven't been. You know, we went to WA and felt, well, we won't need to go back there again. You go over there and you realise very quickly, you just scratch the surface. There's so many other places you could go. So you can imagine one of the things we've got lots of is photos. So I thought I'd predict have a... No. <laughs> <What> a, <laughs> One of the things that you learn very quickly is photos are for you. Because if I put up a photo for you, and I think I've got one here, um, if I put up a photo for you, it, it looks lovely. You can see that it's Carol and I. Some of you may know where that is. If you read the sign, you would know where it is. But you, you can just see this picture, but you don't know what's to the right, what's to the left. You don't know how we got there. Does anyone know where it is? Hmm? No, it's the tip of Australia. Yes, so, sorry, that, that's a base called that. Yeah, it's called Pidginjir or something, because I'm trying to think of the Aboriginal word. Yeah, you're right. It's the top of Cape York. Um, so to get there is the thing, and that's their islands behind it. They're actually not the mainland. That's their islands in the Torres Strait, and so. When I see it, I know what it was like, A, to get there, B, the last little bit and all the other stuff and where it is. Part of the problem is 3D becomes 2D. You can't see the surroundings, you can't do anything else. It's a bit like experiences. You ever had one of those really great experiences and you want to share someone, but they really just don't get it, the Experience that you have trying to describe it all, our words really lack something. If someone describes the struggles they're experiencing or the joys and the highs, they never quite get it, do they? Fully, they can only get it to glimpse. And so, photos like this one, as much as anything, they're reminders for my wife and I. <coughs> and uh, I'll tell on her. She loves going back over old fo- the photos of the old trips and reliving the trips. She also takes lots of movies. I, I take the pictures and the, she takes the, the movies and she loves watching them and recounting and reliving the trips. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. This morning, though, we've come to celebrate Christmas. The coming of Jesus to earth. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. How do you fully explain the significance of that statement what does it really mean that Jesus is the son of God come to earth you see much of the celebration of Christmas centers around the image of a little baby the young child the the couple having their child in very humble circumstances Lots of debate exactly about what that stable really looked like. You know Lots of cute pictures. All babies are cute, aren't they? There's just special pictures. Each year, preachers such as myself try and explain the significance of this event of Christmas. In many contexts, the aim is simply often to remind people that that's what Christmas is about. Some people are actually starting to get upset when we have Christmas events that we actually try and put some religious stuff into the Christmas. They want to know, what's religion got to do with Christmas? For many people, they just don't know that. I can remember teaching Scripture, oh, it could have been about 15, 20 years ago now, and and doing a question and sort of asking the kids, and I think about, a third of the children in that classroom, we're talking about 10, 11-year-olds at this stage, knew that Christmas was about the birth of Jesus and Easter was about when he died. The rest had no idea or mixed them up, thought Christmas was about when he died. They just, we live in a world that just doesn't get it. There's no point speaking about Mount Christmas to many people because, well, the problem is they don't believe there's a God to start with. I'm going to make an assumption today. I'm going to make an assumption that because you're here, you believe that there is a God. You may have doubts about much of the Christmas message, but you basically believe that God exists. I'm going to also assume that you know much about the basics of the Christmas story. This morning, as we look at Christmas, I want to look at this passage of Paul's letter that speaks about just who Jesus is, what he's done. And in doing so, I think, I'm hoping we can grasp just in maybe a small way the significance of that statement, Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. It'll be a little bit like those photos. It only ever gives you a glimpse of the truth of his coming. In many ways, to understand the significance of this, we need to go everything against everything that the world wants us to believe. Let's consider some of these aspects. First of all, he was God. <clears throat> Jesus' birth was not his beginning. It's not just that the Old Testament prophesied about the coming Messiah and there was all these prophecies and you can spend lots of time and you probably have spent time in the past going over some of those prophecies. It's not just about that, Jesus was right there with God, was God right from the very beginning. Many of you will be familiar with with John chapter 1. When it's, Paul here speaks about, he says, who though he is in God's form did not regard his equality with God as something he ought to exploit. I've used actually a new translation I just discovered recently. It's called uh, that NTFE stands for the New Testament for Everybody. Actually comes from the pen for those who are interested of um, N.T. Wright, Tom Wright. Many words have been written seeking to explain the significance of who Jesus was and what it was meant for him to regard, regard equality with God as something that we could cling to or exploit or, or take advantages, all those phrases, by the way, you'll find in various trad- translations of it. Let's grasp the truth that Jesus, that baby who was born in, in Bethlehem, was truly God, a member of the Trinity, yet there is in the manger. We read later in Paul that God was there in the beginning creating the world. Oh, sorry, Jesus was there in the beginning creating the world. And then the next thing we need to grasp is that he became a servant. It's not just that he was God and he was prepared to, to let go and come to earth. You know, if you're expecting God to come to earth, how would you expect him to come? Royal grandeur? How would you expect him to come in all the royal births that had, we've all experienced and witnessed all those births. Listen to what it says. Instead, he emptied himself and received the form of a slave being born in the likeness of humans. Can we grasp the sense of which he emptied himself, made himself nothing, the NIV puts it, Another aspect that we struggle to really comprehend, to get hold of, let alone seek to explain. What does it mean that he he emptied himself? He he thought himself as nothing. came down to earth. Here is God, the creator of the universe and everything in it coming down to earth. Can you grasp that? I struggle with it, I'll be honest. Here is God, the creator of the universe, taking on a human form, becoming like a cute little baby, growing up and all those other aspects of being a baby. I, I sometimes doubt the scripture, the, the, you know the Christmas carol says, no crying he makes. Who believes that Jesus as a baby didn't cry? <laughs> Sorry, he was a baby. Babies cry. They do some other horrible things too, but but that's... I won't go into the gory details. You mothers and parents know exactly what I'm talking about. That was Jesus. God, the creator of the universe, come down to earth. Later in the, the scriptures, we grasp the concept and it talks about he was tempted like you and I are tempted. In every way. He had all those new normal human bodily functions but more than that he humbled himself even to death not only did Jesus come down and take on the role of a servant a slave it's the same word he was obedient, even obedient to death listen to verse 8 and then having human appearance he humbled himself and became obedient even to death, yes, even the death of the cross. Today we often speak about that attitude of, of being humble as a positive, as a, as a positive characteristic. And in Jesus, <coughs> me. in Jesus' time before being humble, if you were a humble person, do you know what you were considered as being? Weak. If you're a humble person, you were considered back in those days as being weak. A humble servant, he was obedient, obedient even to the point of death. I came across a very helpful illustration of that this week. uh, Reading a book by uh, Christopher Watkins. uh, Quite a heavy book and won the um, Bible Society uh, Book of the Year this year. But he talks about how he wrote about watching an episode of The Crown. Remember The Crown? It's actually the new parts of it are still coming out. And he's watching an episode of it, and Christopher Watkins, by the way, is a few years younger than I am. I think he's probably about a couple of decades younger. And in the, they, they, he watched the scene where Princess Di went into the hospital and hugged a little boy with AIDS. And he thought to himself, What's so special about that? And then he realised his mistake and how wrong he was, that it was special. Why was it special? Well for those of you who my age and older, you'll remember that back in those early days, back in the 80s, in those early days, it was considered almost taboo to touch anyone who had AIDS. And we went through a period where people were absolutely frightened. It was a big case, of, if I remember correctly, on the Central Coast. Um, I've forgotten the girls' names and all the details. But there was that absolute fear of touching people with AIDS that you could contact. Now today, younger ones, you probably think that's silly because we now all know that you can't catch AIDS through touch. You touch someone who's got AIDS, you're not going to get it. It's not the way you catch AIDS. But back in those days, there was a fear... And Diane did something special. She hugged a little boy. And It's the same thing with humility. We don't get the concept of what it means for Jesus to come down and be humble. Because you see, back in those times, we just take it for granted now that humility is a positive characteristic. It's a bit like what we think about, we used to think that AIDS was something you caught by touch. We think that being humble is somehow positive. Back in those days, it wasn't. And the final line also doesn't have the significance that it did in Jesus' day. The last line there says, yes, even death on a cross. He prepared to die on a cross. You've probably been heard that being crucified was reserved for the lowest form. Another thing incident I remember is, uh, in the Alpha series, which, uh, one of the early talks back in Nicky Gumball's, I haven't seen it for ages, but he did a talk and he came in wearing a necklace and he had a guillotine on the necklace. Do you know what? It looked ridiculous. It looked awkward. It looked silly, to be perfectly honest, but it made an interesting point. If you had to come walking, walking with it a necklace with a cross on it, what would we think? Oh, isn't that wonderful? Christian. What's the difference between a cross and a guillotine? Nothing. They're the same. We've taken the cross now to mean something special. It's not. It's horrible. It was a horrible way to die. Now, by the way, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wearing crosses on your uh, necklaces. It's changed meaning. But you've got to remember, back in those days, a cross was demeaning. It was not something nice. It was reserved for the lowest of the low, the riffraff. It was an offence to be de- killed on a cross. The big word that we often use today, of Jesus renouncing his equality with God and becoming human, is that big word, Incarnation. A concept that we can describe, Here yeah, we often never fully grab the enormity of what it meant. That first Christmas that Jesus, God, came down to earth. God with us, Emmanuel. Another word we use, we don't think of God with us. But as you're aware, death is not the end of the story. It's another great scandal that people have often struggled with ever since the resurrection. The fact that Jesus rose and was exalted. People don't come back to life, they don't rise again. But that's the proper response. That we celebrate. That his name is above every other name. As we read in those verses, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. If I, I could sing this song, couldn't we? At the name of Jesus, every knee shall—I'll spare you, by the way—and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the response. There's a movement in this passage <coughs> that needs to be understood clearly. God's grace, His love, came down to earth in Jesus Christ. It's God's initiative. You know, Abraham did not earn his place in God's story. Abraham didn't earn, become Abraham because he was a great person. He was chosen by God. We don't earn salvation. It comes from God. It's, it's all of God. It's a message of grace. Our response is one of adoration, worship and obedience. Society by the way, Tixie, turn it around. Uh, the society says that if we're somehow faithful enough to God, God will respond by giving us his blessing, his salvation. I came across this set of illustrations with it. We almost have this sort of response of adoration, we have this thought that if we work hard enough our service, we'll get God's blessing. We see it like a An end. Rather, we should see it as God's grace coming down and our response. God really turns everything upside down. This is the message that the Christmas story is really about. We don't need to be good or nice. You know the beautiful song? I've been good, I've been nice. Have you been naughty? We sort of talk this idea, if you're not good or nice, you won't get your Christmas presents. That's not the message of Christmas. It's actually the opposite. It's got nothing to do with whether you're good or nice because guess what? If you had to be good all this year to get your Christmas present, guess how many of you would be getting Christmas presents this year? None. You would, would you? God. But you see, you don't get Christmas presents because you're good. All my grandkids are going to get Christmas presents this year from me. Is it because they've been good this year? Absolutely and utterly not. They're getting Christmas presents, why? Because they're my grandkids and I love them. It's so totally different. We have twisted that around the world. It's all about God. Up to this point I've been looking at the wonder that Jesus came down to earth and what that means. Seeking to understand just what this means. It's because of God's love that we have this wonderful truth that the reason that God sent Jesus into the world that if we all put our trust and our faith in him we'll be part of God's kingdom and it's about us learning to accept the grace that God has given us. There's an interesting aspect in this thing. Did you notice that when Cheryl read that to us, she didn't start at verse 6, she started at verse 5. That's because I asked her to, by the way. But verse 5, remember what that very first verse 5 was? This is how you should think among yourselves with the mind that you have because you belong to the Messiah. And then it goes on to talk about Jesus. Paul has this challenge for the folk at Philippians, at Philippi. Hey, listen, you Philippians, I want you to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Paul wants us to copy the example of Jesus. To have that same attitude, to have that same mindset that Jesus had—a mindset of humility, a mindset, and attitude of being a slave. And you know the great challenge with that—it's not just this mindset. It's about how we do things with others. As the second verse says, "This is how you should think among yourselves." It's about how you relate to each other, and he's talking, remember, to the church. How do you relate as a church? It's in the context of relationships. Humility, I can be really humble except except when I have to deal with other people. I can be really loving and caring except when I have to deal with other people is almost what happens today. But it's in the context of the church. The letter of Paul is written to the church of Philippi. Now that church at Philippi is not a really wonderful, great, magnificent church of wonderful people. Oh, it's got wonderful Christians there. Don't get me wrong. They put their foot trace of it and were seeking to live the Christian life. But you know what? They had their normal squabbles and problems and issues that we have. Remember um, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Many of you will know Philippians 4, that great chapter about sort of pray without ceasing and all the rest of it and trusting in the Lord. Remember how that chapter starts though, verses 2 and 3 of Philippians chapter 4. Let me read it for you. I have a special appeal which goes to you Odia and Syntyche. Please, please come to a common mind in the Lord. And here's a request for you my loyal comrade, please help these women. They have struggled hard in the gospel alongside me as Clement of Clement and the other fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He's talking to the church and saying Folks, look, you've got a couple of women. in there. They're really wonderful women. They have really served the church well. They are really faithful gospel workers. But, and get on. Now, that would never happen in this church, I suspect. It happens in other churches. So, I'm talking about other churches here. I wouldn't be talking about anyone here, would I? But it's dealing with people within the church. And it's in the context of that sort of church that he's writing to. This wasn't an issue with people on the fringe of the church. This was people centrally in the heart of the church. It was people very much involved in the life of the church. We think about what Jesus did, he wants us to do. Christmas celebrates the birth of Jesus Emmanuel. A phrase we often use at this time. Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is a time to celebrate the coming of that Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. God come down to earth among us. The concept of that God become flesh is something that we talk about at Christmas. Do we really grasp the enormity of what that meant? The change that it brought to earth. You know, the significance of that event, we try and do it by the way we number our years. This is the year 2023. We, used, In the old traditional language, it would say the year 2023 in the year of our Lord. Or as we would say, AD, Anno Domini. If You know your Latin? All of you know your Latin, don't you? Okay, the year of our Lord. Yes, I know, the guy who devised the calendar got it wrong and actually was born probably about 4 BC, but that's another issue, that's irrelevant. We still divide it on that way. And it doesn't matter the fact that the world now doesn't like that phrase, so it's changed it to uh, BCE, before the common era, and CE, common era, but we still divide it there at that point. This passage reminds us there will come a time when every knee will bow... The world's going to struggle with that. There'll come a time when every nun needs to confess and every knee will need to bow. Jesus' coming also changes or ought to change the way that we relate to one another. We need to learn that same sense of humility. Christmas is a time of great celebration, a time to celebrate with our loved ones, for families to get together, Guess what though sadly often happens? It's not a happy time for everybody. There are many people for whom when the families get together, well, if they get together there's tensions. So often they can't get together. Now, Sometimes that's because of geography or other events. Sometimes it's because the family's broken and they just won't. It's a reminder of The fact that there is tensions and hostility. And into that comes God's grace. And we ought to show that same sense of humility, that same sense of sacrifice in those difficult situations. And unless I'm mistaken, some of you probably are experiencing that this Christmas. We need to pray that we were in the midst of all of that. We'll know that same humility, that same self-sacrifice. Celebrate this Christmas. Try and grasp a a, a glimpse or an understanding of what it really means for God to come down, the, the humility, the sacrifice that that was. And we'll struggle to understand, but we also will struggle sometimes to follow his example in our relationships within our family and within our church. May we know that same humility in our lives. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for Emmanuel, God come down amongst us. The enormity of what God's grace has done in coming down and poured out in our lives. Lord, my prayer is this Christmas that we might celebrate that Knowledge that understanding of God's love, compassion, mercy, grace. But help us, Lord, to exercise it in our own lives. In the messiness of families, in the messiness of churches, in the messiness of, of life. Help each one of us to show that same sense of humility, that same sense of sacrifice that truly we might be your people, that truly we might live as you would have us live. We can only do that through the power of your Spirit. Yes, we will fail, but your grace is there for us. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.